Today's Patriots Beat is brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple, no ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos. Instead, readers get an in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams and leagues inside and out. Today, my listeners can get 40% off by visiting theathletic.com and using the promo code PATSBEAT. That means the subscription is just $2.99 a month. Once again, subscribe today by going to theathletic.com slash PATSBEAT or just use the promo code PATSBEAT at the site for 40% off and a chance to be part of the future of sports journalism. Hey everybody, it's Drags and it's Wednesday, March 13th. Happy New Year in the NFL. It is the first full day of NFL free agency and the official start of the NFL, a new NFL calendar season. No better time for episode 289 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us on Twitter at Patriots CLNS. No one better than Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, bachelorette contestant from season 14, here for all the right reasons to break down all of the NFL free agent moves so far. I know that's cheesy, Mike, but welcome to the program. Yes, definitely a little cheesy, but thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Let's start right off this is a Patriots show and uh, with Trey Flowers. You and Steve Palazzolo had a great breakdown uh, on video on Pro Football Focus, of why it is uh, the Lions head coach Matt Patricia and general manager Bob Quinn, both Belichick, Bill Belichick disciples, why they went after Trey Flowers. Yeah, so of all the defense coordinators to leave Bill Belichick in the system there, I think Patricia tried to most emulate it of all those guys. He really did a lot, brought a lot of things to the Lions that they ran there in New England, whether it be hybrid fronts up front, three-man rushes, man coverage, a lot of those same principles that define New England, he brought to Detroit. But the thing was they just didn't have the players to run that sort of system last year. They didn't have the talent on the back end. They didn't have anywhere near the pass rushers up front that could continually push the pocket, continually collapse it, continually you know, force quarterbacks to just get rid of it, not have all day back there. And so Trey Flowers, he was the Patriots' best pass rusher this past season, goes to you know, Detroit is easily going to be their best pass rusher as well. So uh, I think he's worth that sort of money. I think you know you're getting a good player, and he's only 25 years old. He'll be in the prime for most of that deal. So two two questions, and, and you answered the first one pretty much already, but I want to go over it again. How does this specifically help the Lions, and how much will the Patriots miss Flowers, a key part of the Patriots' Super Bowl defenses the last three years? Yeah, so he helps the Lions by just being a pass rusher. I think they had probably the worst, if not one of the bottom three edge rush groups in the NFL last year with Romeo Aquara, uh, Devon Kennard. They just could not get after the passer. So from that perspective, uh, he can. He got over 60 pressures each of the last two seasons, gotten better every single year of his career. So from that perspective, a huge you know, boom for them. On the other side, Patriots, why he was so coveted, why he was so crucial to their scheme was his ability to go from the edge on one play to then play the three-tech on the next play, so then it's third down, line him up, head up over center, and have him rush from there. So I think his versatility was so important to the Patriots because, like I mentioned, one of the biggest things they do is they'll rush three a good portion of the time and put uh, the ability to have Flowers go from outside linebacker uh, you know, on first down to then uh, a three-man front where it's a no-stackle and two-three techniques, two guys lined up over the guard, then just rushing those three and have him still be effective and still rush the passer from that technique. 
was so crucial to a lot of their success. They didn't have a lot of, and never really anyone else there that could rush the passer in New England. So if they didn't have him, everyone would have had all day against them. So I think that versatility was very key. And we saw him show up big in the playoffs. Had you know 31 pressures the last two postseasons combined, which is pretty absurd. So he shows up when it mattered most, and yeah, he had a heck of a career, uh, you know, in the Patriots jersey. He really did, and I don't know about you, Mike, but I really do think the whole key to this is Matt Patricia and, to a lesser degree, Bob Quinn. But Matt Patricia knows he's a versatile defensive lineman, right? And you don't just have to set him on the edge. You can move him up and down the D-line. Yeah, like I mentioned, I think Patricia's really copying a lot of the stuff Belichick did. He is putting that almost system verbatim in place in Detroit. And so from that perspective, the transition is easy. You saw it be done in New England. It, he's going to be asked to do the same things in Detroit. You think, you know, very, a lot of times in free agency, when you ask a guy to go into a different role or play a different position, you don't know if you're going to be getting the same player, the same sort of production. This one, you know you're going to get production. You've seen it happen already. Patricia, obviously, very familiar with them. I think it was an easy sort of job that he had to convince his GM to go ahead and pull the trigger. Fans hit me up on Twitter, Mike, and, and they say good for Flowers, but the Patriots – aren't going to miss a beat defensively. They always find that guy or two or three to fill in. You're getting Michael Bennett, and you add to that, you know, Adrian Claiborne, Dietrich Wise, Derek Rivers, and whoever they draft. You, you kind of agree with that sentiment from fans that, look, it's Belichick, and, you know, sure, Trey Flowers leaving in the prime of his career isn't great. It's not ideal, but they're going to be able to um, find something in the draft to complement what they already have. Yeah, I think you already said it there with the Michael Bennett trade. That was the writing was then on the wall. That was the replacement. Michael Bennett fills almost the exact same role in that defense in terms of his versatility, where he can play any sort of technique up and down the defensive line. Not quite as productive as Flowers, but a fairly good impersonation for a lot less money than you would have to pay Flowers. And then, they, like you said, they drafted young guys. They had Dietrich Weiss, who has looked good at times over the course of his young career. Derek Rivers, who just... You know, after, uh, you know, going on IR all his rookie season, missing all his rookie year, came back, still could develop into year three. So I do think, uh, and they'll also be in a position there at the end of the first round to still get talent along that defensive line if they so choose with a deep D-line class. So, yeah, I, I don't think, I think the third rounders that you're getting back from him and Trent Brown uh, are more valuable than what what they would have meant to the team signing him with those big deals. I don't think the Patriots are going to miss too much. Uh, of either, to be honest, with what they have in the tank. Speaking with Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, follow him on Twitter, at PFF underscore. Mike, uh, Mike, you tweeted something Monday I thought was just spot on. The first day of free agency, uh, you said, uh, you know, the if the opening of free agency taught us anything, it's the value of draft picks, right? And who better in the NFL than the New England Patriots at understanding the concept and executing it to perfection. You mentioned Trent Brown a little while ago, the third rounder uh, they're going to get back. That's the perfect example, right? I mean, you're talking about spending a third-round pick on a 25-year-old massive starting left tackle in his walk year the year before, you know, when you traded for him in the before the 2018 draft and you let him walk, you get back that third-round compensatory, uh, compensatory pick you draft your starting left tackle who would, you know, in theory replace him uh, when he leaves and Isaiah win, and you're not spending $36 million, uh, in guaranteed money to keep him. And that, to me, sums up why the Patriots, year after year, 
get the whole free agency draft uh, dynamic better than anybody. Yeah, I tweeted that out because you saw guys on day one of free agency getting $8 million a year, $10 million a year, who just for pure competency at the position, just guys who are bottom of the barrel NFL level starters getting that much a year just because teams are so afraid of not having anyone at that position. Teams are so afraid of having this glaring hole that's really going to you know, completely bring your offense or defense to its knees and be such a weakness that you have still because they're not good at drafting. They're not good at identifying that talent in the draft because the last time you want to be you know, drafting an offensive lineman, like for the Patriots, for example, last time you want to be drafting a left tackle is when you need one. You want to be drafting it one year before, two years before, because the guy's stepping in year one, you could just never really – count on that you want the guy in the pipeline the guy that you've developed to fill in that role to be stepping in you don't want that guy stepping in year one so i do think draft picks the ability to identify that talent have in the mid rounds third fourth round and have that be fill out the back end of your lineup not have to overspend money to fill these holes is more important than it's ever been because of how the discrepancy between 10 million dollars a year what it takes for you know a bottom of the level nfl starter to two million dollars a year which is rookie contract if you need any better example, look no further than where the city that uh, you're in right now, the Cincinnati Bengals and Bobby Hart. Three years, $21 million. I think it was your your colleague, Steve Palazzolo, who uh, tweeted out he was the weaker half of the Eric Flowers tackle combo with the Giants. Yeah, it's not even a joke, and it's very true, and it's basically just because they could do worse at that position. And to be honest, at times they have done worse at that position, but he's a bottom 10 starter among tackles in the NFL right now. And he got $7 million a year just because it basically puts them in a position where they don't have to use their first round pick on a tackle if they really don't want to. I mean, they right. probably still should because of how bad that line is, but they don't have to if they don't want to. And teams are paying that sort of premium uh, just because we've seen how much but Cole Miller, you look at the Raiders last year, that just derails your offense. Guys like that who's starting rookie corners that aren't ready, it's going to derail your defense. So, like I said, the last time to be filling in need with draft pick is when uh, it's absolutely necessary. You want to fill it the year before, two years before. Chatting up, uh, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus does just a tremendous job breaking down film at profootballfocus.com. Follow him on Twitter for priceless tweets, I think, at PFF underscore Mike. Uh, Mike, what should the Patriots be looking at with regard to uh, backup quarterback behind Tom Brady? And I'm not really including Danny Etling because the people I've spoken to are pretty close around the organization figure, you know, he could be a Brian Hoyer, terrific scout quarterback like he was at LSU. Uh, but I'm talking about maybe look at somebody like Daniel Jones, if he's even available to the Patriots, you know, late in the first round. Yeah. From our data, what I think we, I think what the Patriots sort of have identified over the past uh, in terms of quarterbacks, they like uh, is accuracy, not necessarily guys with big arms, but guys who did, fit the ball consistently down the field, you know, accurate down the field. And so the name that we have come to buy internally, because Steve being, uh, you know, from Massachusetts, New England fan has tabbed him, uh, is Will Greer from West Virginia, just because our data from a ball, you know, tracking every throw this past season, loves his accuracy. Now he went to the senior bowl and had about as bad a senior bowl as I can remember from any sort of realistic prospect, but that's a one, that's a small sample size compared to his entire college career where he was, very accurate and high in a passing in that pass heavy offense. So 
I think he's a guy in the second and third would make a lot of sense. I'm, I'm not sure they're going to any of the top end guys really make sense for them in the first uh, in terms of whether it be Daniel Jones or if Drew Lockfall, something like that. I'm not sure that I, the value would be there, but I think in the second or third round of this draft, there's guys with flaws that they could maybe see as their next Jimmy Garoppolo type developmental guy. You know, as we record this, good for Cordero Patterson making the most of his time in New England, gets a ring, and then gets a two-year deal from the Chicago Bears. I mean, that's, to me, Mike, that is an example of a guy getting a chance in New England to show his wares and show his value and then make the most of it. It's amazing to me, too, because the NFL has pretty much done all they could to torpedo Cordell Patterson's value on the open market. They've taken away kickoff returns almost wholesale over the past few years, and yet he still gets his returns, still gets his yardage off returns, still is a difference maker in that facet of the game, uh, even though the NFL is doing all they can to try to make him not be one. That is uh, actually very fascinating. Uh, speaking with Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, follow him on Twitter, at PFF underscore Mike. Your thoughts on Nick Foles getting four years and $88 million and the theory, the cockamamie theory, I think, that you're paying the guy to be a ready-made leader in the Jaguars locker room. That's why you had to give him $22 million a year. I think that's, like you suggested, that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I thought it was outlandish. I thought the guaranteed money was pretty absurd. I mean, this was a guy who, before he went to the Eagles, could have been had by any team in the NFL for pennies, you know, realistically compared to what he's getting now. He's just been terribly inconsistent, even with the Eagles, even in probably the best offense, you know, with most offensive talent he's had around him in the best offensive system for him. He has been incredibly inconsistent. He had a hot three-game stretch and and not even a great three game stretch. The game against the Falcons wasn't that special. A hot two game stretch really that won them the Super Bowl. Good for him, but sixteen games. I, I don't see it being great. I don't foresee him being franchise quarterback level. Obviously, it's going to be a step up over Blake Bortles, but they're paying a lot for it. They're going to have to cut some of those other free agents that they've signed along the way to get this team where they are now. I, I just don't foresee this ending well for Jacksonville. Do you think they're doing that because they foresee Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, taking off? Uh, I don't know why they're doing it. <laughs> I, I do think Jalen Ramsey does not, will not want to be there at the end of his contract. It's still a few couple years away, but it's really a weird dynamic going on with ever. In that it is room. weird because I'm, I'm just trying to like search for reasons, you know, you would, you know, I mean, first of all, I guess if you've made the decision in valuating talent, that he is going to be our guy for four years, and you know we're very confident that he can transform whatever went wrong in that locker room. Then I guess you you invest the money, and you know on the surface it's it's not a bad deal. It just seems like they have so many other holes. Yeah, I just don't think that one QB. It, obviously, they had to go get a QB. They're with the way their roster is set up. There's not a big window. They basically mortgage their future with all those free agent deals they sign. So they had to maximize their window at the whatever the contract is a little absurd. But this is their window now. They're kind of stuck with it. They didn't have much better options. They probably should have, you know, been drafting quarterbacks in the draft. They probably should have. Their biggest mistake was not giving up on Blake Bortles earlier than they did. But now that they're in the situation, there really wasn't much else they could do. And obviously, the haggling over four or five million dollars in terms of 
Foles' price tag, but this is what they were stuck with. So I could see this really was the only option, the only realistic avenue they had. You know, we spoke about Cordero Patterson making the most of his chance. How about Trent Brown? I, and I know we mentioned this, you know, a little while earlier in the pod, but uh, Trent Brown getting the money he got from the Oakland Raiders and, you know, Mike Mayock, the new GM uh, in Oakland, um, it, I go back and forth on, on whether or not, you know, Trent Brown had a breakout year or a lot of it was because Tom Brady's the best quarterback for an offensive lineman there is and you have Dante Scarnecchia who can coach up anybody how do you how did you guys grade out Trent Brown this year yeah I was going to say the the best day of Brown's life was probably yesterday the second best day of his life was the day he was traded from the 49ers to the New England Patriots because (laughs) that did so much for his value because in terms of going from the right side in uh, San Francisco, uh, where you're just not going to get as much recognition as a right tackle in the NFL. You're not going to get as big of a payday to the left tackle in New England, probably the most high-profile tackle you can be in the NFL in terms of your pass blocking the blind side for Tom Brady. People are going to know your name. People are going to be watching every play. So just from a no, you know, notoriety standpoint, it's just going to be way more – people are going to be way more in tune to his game. And he wasn't perfect by any means. He got a lot better down the stretch. It was, you know – uh, Grade-wise, he was right around average for a tackle, but from what we see in tackles moving from one side to the other, uh, they usually take a step back. He actually graded better at right tackle for the 49ers, so you're going to take a step back. But down the stretch in the playoffs, back when they made the playoffs, was huge for him because he was lights out down that in those you know uh, three games there, and that was what made him. That's what got him this deal, even if you know it's only again a small sample size. He's not one of the top ten tackles in the NFL. I don't think he's really close, but he's a good tackle. So they paid the premium to get that guy. Like, you, like this goes back to what we talked about before. You have to trust that you can get those Trent Browns in the third. The uh, Isaiah wins in the first. Hopefully, he comes in and does the exact same thing because that is a lot of money that they paid him. And what about Isaiah Wynn, you know, a couple of years ago um, at Georgia uh, coming out with Sonny Michelle? How did Isaiah Wynn impress on film to you guys? And what kind of left tackle is he going to make? Yeah, I loved Isaiah Wynn coming out. I, I wasn't, sh- I'm not sure I would have kept him at tackle. I mean, I think he could be, could have been a guard as well, but I, I'm not going to say he can't play tackle. He has the length for it and he has the feet for it. Just a little on the short side, sort of like, uh, Kelvin Beecham was, uh, for the Giants, for the Jets, excuse me, and, uh, Steelers in years past. And he still did it. He's still a pretty good pass protector in his own right. So I don't think that's going to limit him whatsoever, but he had some dominant reps in the run game at Georgia, had some of the best feet in that class. I, I love last year's offensive lineman class. He was right there, not quite Quentin Nelson-like, just because he didn't have the highlight reel stuff, didn't have the – wasn't quite as dominant. But in terms of consistency, he was up there with uh, you know the guy who went top deck. You know, I, I just – to me, it it amazes me how the Patriots continually um, restock and reload year after year and are able to take advantage of the NFL's um, other teams who, who aren't as prepared, it seems like, for this time of year. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think they're just – a lot of teams have – I don't know how they're best to put this, but a lot of teams have, like, cutoffs or – targets or things that they just guys they won't pursue for some reason or another the Patriots don't have that they're just going to acquire talent by any means necessary no matter what it is and mold that then into their you know mold their system around that guy or mold that into their system they're going to make it work 
other teams will just take, you know, talented players off their board, what have you, because, oh, he doesn't fit my scheme, doesn't fit this, doesn't fit that, character concerns, whatever. Patriots don't really have that, and I think that's their biggest leg up on the rest of the NFL in terms of talent evaluation. They see talent and think, how can I make, you know, how can I make my scheme work for this talent, whereas other teams see uh, talent and think, how can I fit this talent into my scheme? I think that's the biggest uh, difference. The Patriots leave no avenue unscathed in terms of uh, player evaluation. Chatting up Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. All right, Mike, enough football. That's Though that's never really the case, as you and I both know. But what was the lasting <laughs> moment for you in season 14 of The Bachelorette? Lasting moment was, gosh, I mean, just getting to play football, actually, against a guy who was at one point in the NFL. It was probably the last moment. It was just a fun thing to do. We played a tackle football game. I had never actually, I didn't even play in high school because my high school didn't have football. So that was a lot of fun to do, something that I never really thought I would be doing when I went on that show. So that was probably the lasting moment for me. still have my jersey from that game. Do you really? Yeah, I got all the guys to sign it, which is pretty cool. Uh, speaking of um, former NFL players, uh, former NFL tight end Colton Underwood, I'm sure you're aware by now, um, makes bachelor history going from three women to Zippo when Casey, uh, Cassie Randolph dissed him. I, I, I feel like out of my element here, but I gotta ask, it's the foot, is that the football equivalent of turning down Andy Reid and Sean Payton only to be cut by Bill Belichick? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not good. It's, uh, yeah, that's basically, what was it, the Packers collapse against the Seahawks. You're, you're up, he was up 20 and, uh, all he needed to do was kneel and, uh, you know, he really just, that, he blew that one. I, I heard about it, I didn't watch the episode, but it sounds like it did not, uh, it's about as bad ending as you can get from being the bachelor. Not even Khalil Mack could save him. Not even Khalil Mack. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's been really a pleasure, Mike. Were teammates, actually, I think, him and Khalil Mack in Oakland. What? Golden. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, see, that's why we have you on, Mike. That's exactly why uh, we have you on. i got to yeah. tell you, um, one more question. Okay. Gold Star or Skyline, and you can't say neither. Uh, can I say Dixie? It's one of oh, the, sure. the, yep. the small yep. one. Yes. That one's actually, I can stomach that one. The other two are pretty rough, I'll say. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Chili. It's, um, yeah. Dixie Chili. This is a Cincinnati reference because Cincinnati Chili and, um, having, uh, hailed from there, um, I am a, a Skyline guy. I'm not afraid to admit that. Many a college, uh, or high school football game, um, no. I went there and spent many a night uh, at Skyline Chile after a football win or loss. So uh, that'll do it for our discussion with uh, Mike Renner. Uh, again, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. He's just a terrific follow and the guys at Pro Football Focus. And I don't just say this because Chris Collinsworth, you know, helps run your company. Um, I think you guys do a, a fabulous job breaking down uh, film to a, to a level that I don't think anybody else does, frankly. I really appreciate those kind of words, Mike. Thanks so much, man. Uh, thanks for having me on, too. No problem. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Want to thank our great sponsor, The Athletic. Once again, follow our terrific guest, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, at PFF underscore Mike on Twitter. 
want to thank everybody for downloading this podcast. For producer Mike Alonji, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast. Or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.